Chapter 3, Section 4 of A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System by William Wilberforce. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Lillis. Chapter 3, Section 4 Inadequate Conceptions Entertained by Nominal Christians of the Terms of Acceptance with God. If it then be indeed, as so has been now stated, that, in contradiction to the plainest dictates of Scripture and to the ritual of our established Church, the sanctifying operations of the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of our reconciliation to God, the purchase of our Redeemer's death, and His best gift to His true disciples are too generally undervalued and slighted, if it be also true, as was formerly proved, that our thoughts of the Blessed Saviour are confused and faint, our affections towards him languid and lukewarm, little proportion to what they, who at such a price have been rescued from ruin, and endowed with a title to eternal glory, might be justly expected to feel towards the author of their deliverance, little proportion to what has been felt by others, ransomed from the same ruin, and partakers of the same inheritance. If this, let it be repeated, be indeed so, let us not shut our eyes against the perception of our real state, but rather endeavour to trace the evil to its source." We are loudly called to examine well our foundations. If anything be there unsound and hollow, the superstructure could not be safe, though its exterior were less suspicious. Let the question then be asked, and let the answer be returned with all the consideration and solemnity which a question so important may justly demand, whether in the grand concern of all, the means of a sinner's acceptance with God, there be not reason to apprehend that the nominal Christians whom we have been addressing too generally entertain very superficial and confused, and, to speak in the softest terms, highly dangerous notions? Is there not cause to fear that with little more than an indistinct and nominal reference to him who bore our sins in his own body on the tree, they really rest their eternal hopes on a vague general persuasion of the unqualified mercy of the Supreme Being, or that, still more erroneously, they rely in the main on their own negative or positive merits? They can look upon their lives with an impartial eye and congratulate themselves on their inoffensiveness in society." or if sometimes accidentally betrayed into it, on its never having been indulged habitually. Or, if not even so, for there are but few who can say this if the term vice be explained according to the strict requisitions of the gospel, yet on the balance being in their favour, or on the whole not much against them, when their good and bad actions are fairly weighed and due allowance is made for human frailty. These considerations are sufficient for the most part to compose their apprehensions. These are the cordials which they find most at hand in the moments of serious thought, or of occasional dejection, and sometimes perhaps in seasons of less than ordinary self-complacency they call in also to their aid the general persuasion of the unbounded mercy and pity of god yet persons of this description by no means disclaim a saviour or avowedly relinquish their title to share in the benefits of his death they close their petitions with the name of christ but if not chiefly from the effect of habit or out of decent conformity to the established faith yet surely with something of the same ambiguity of principle which influenced the expiring philosopher when he ordered the customary mark of homage to be paid to the god of medicine Others go farther than this, for there are many shades of difference between those who flatly renounce and those who cordially embrace the doctrine of redemption by Christ. This class has a sort of general, indeterminate, and ill-understood dependence on our blessed Saviour, but their hopes, so far as they can be distinctly made out, for their views are also very obscure, appear ultimately to bottom on the persuasion that they are now, through Christ, become members of a new dispensation, wherein they will be tried by a more lenient rule than that to which they must have been otherwise subject." to quote god will not now be extreme to mark what is done amiss but will dispense with the rigorous exactions of his law too strict indeed for such frail creatures as we are to hope that we can fulfil it christianity has moderated the requisitions of divine justice and all which is now required of us is thankfully to trust the merits of christ for the pardon of our sins and the acceptance of our sincere though imperfect obedience 
the frailties and infirmities to which our nature is liable or to which our situation in life exposes us will not be severely judged and as it is practice that really determines the character we may rest satisfied that if on the whole our lives be tolerably good we shall escape with little or no punishment and through jesus christ our lord shall finally be partakers of heavenly felicity we cannot dive into the human heart and therefore should always speak with caution and diffidence when from external appearances or declarations we are affirming the existence of any internal principles and feelings especially as we are liable to be misled by the ambiguities of language or by the inaccuracy with which others may express themselves but it is sometimes not difficult to any one who is accustomed if the phrase may be allowed to the anatomy of the human mind to discern that generally speaking the persons who use the above language rely not so much on the merits of christ and on the agency of divine grace as their own power of fulfilling the moderated requisitions of divine justice he will hence therefore discover in them a disposition rather to extenuate the malignity of their disease than to magnify the excellence of the proffered remedy he will find them apt to palliate in themselves what they cannot fully justify, to enhance the merit of what they believe to be their good qualities and commendable actions, to set, as it were, in one account the good against the bad. And if the result be not very unfavorable, they conceive that they shall be entitled to claim the benefits of our Saviour's suffering as a thing of course. They have little idea, so little, that it might almost be affirmed that they have no idea at all, of the importance or difficulty of the duty of what Scripture calls submitting ourselves to the righteousness of God or of our proneness rather to justify ourselves in his sight than in the language of imploring penitence to acknowledge ourselves guilty and helpless sinners they have never summoned themselves to this entire and unqualified renunciation of their own merits and to their own strength and therefore they remain strangers to the natural loftiness of the human heart which such a call would have awakened into action and roused to resistance all these their several errors naturally result from the mistaken conception entertained of the fundamental principles of christianity they consider not that Christianity is a scheme for, quote, justifying the ungodly, end quote, Romans chapter 4, verse 5, by Christ dying for them, quote, when yet sinners, end quote, Romans chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, a scheme for, quote, reconciling us to God when enemies, end quote, and for making the fruits of holiness the effects, not the cause, of our being justified and reconciled, that, in short, it opens freely the door of mercy to the greatest and vilest of penitent sinners, that obeying the blessed impulse of the grace of God, whereby they had been awakened from the sleep of death, and moved to seek for pardon, they might enter in, and through the regenerating influence of the Holy Spirit, might be enabled to bring forth the fruits of righteousness. Footnote. The writer trusts he cannot be misunderstood to mean that any continuing sinners and ungodly can by believing be accepted or finally saved. The following chapter, particularly the latter part of it, section 6, would abundantly vindicate him from any such misconstruction. Meanwhile, he will only remark that true faith, in which repentance is considered as involved, is in scripture regarded as the radical principle of holiness. If the root exists, the proper fruits will be brought forth. An attention to this consideration would have easily explained and reconciled those passages of St. Paul's and St. James' epistles, which have furnished so much matter of argument and criticism. St. James, it may be observed, all along speaks of a man, not who has faith, but who says that he has faith. See James chapter 2, verse 14. End footnote. But they rather conceive of Christianity as opening the door of mercy, that those who on the ground of their own merits could not have hoped to justify themselves before God, may yet be admitted for Christ's sake, on condition of their having previously satisfied the moderated requisitions of divine justice. In speaking to others also of the gospel scheme, they are apt to talk too much of terms and performances on our part, on which we become entitled to an interest in the sufferings of Christ. Instead of stating the benefits of Christ's satisfaction as extended to us freely, quote, without money and without price. End quote. 
the practical consequences of these errors are such as might be expected they tend to prevent that sense which we ought to entertain of our own natural misery and helplessness and that deep feeling of gratitude for the merits and intercession of christ to which we are wholly indebted for our reconciliation to god and for the will and the power from the first to last to work out our own salvation they consider it too much in the light of a contract between two parties wherein each independently of the other has his own distinct condition to perform man to do his duty god to justify and accept for christ's sake if they fail not in the discharge of their condition assuredly the condition on god's part will be faithfully fulfilled accordingly we find in fact that they who represent the gospel scheme in the manner above described give evidence of the subject with which their hearts are most fulfilled by their proneness to run into merely moral disquisitions either not mentioning at all or at least but cursorily touching on the sufferings and love of their redeemer and are little apt to kindle at their saviour's name and like the apostles to be betrayed by their fervour into what may be an almost untimely descant on the riches of his unutterable mercy in addressing others also whom they conceive to be living in habits of sin and under the wrath of god they rather advise them to amend their ways as a preparation for their coming to christ than exhort them to throw themselves with deep prostration of soul at the foot of the cross there to obtain pardon and find grace to help in time of need the great importance of the subject in question will justify our having been thus particular it has arisen from a wish that on a question of such magnitude to mistake our meaning should be impossible but after all which has been said let it also be remembered that except so far as the instruction of others is concerned the point of importance is the internal disposition of the mind where the dependence for pardon and for holiness is really placed not what the language is in which men express themselves and it is to be hoped that he who searches the heart sees the right dispositions in many who use the mistaken and dangerous language to which we have objected if this so generally prevailing error concerning the nature of the gospel offer be in any considerable degree just it will then explain that so generally prevailing languor in the affections towards our blessed saviour which were formerly remarked and that inadequate impression of the necessity and value of the assistance of the divine spirit according to the soundest principles of reason it may be also adduced as an additional proof of the correctness of our present statement that it so exactly falls within those phenomena and so naturally accounts for them for even admitting that the persons above mentioned particularly in the last class do at the bottom rely on the atonement of christ yet on their scheme it must necessarily happen that the object to which they are most accustomed to look with which their thoughts are chiefly conversant from which they most habitually derive complacency is rather their own qualified merits and services though confessed to be inadequate than the sufferings and atoning death of a crucified saviour the affections towards our blessed lord therefore according to the theory of the passions formerly laid down cannot be expected to flourish because they receive not that which was shown to be necessary to their nutriment and growth if we would love him as affectionately and rejoice in him as triumphantly as the first christians did we must learn like them to repose our entire trust in him and to adopt the language of the apostle quote, god forbid that i should glory save in the cross of our lord jesus christ End quote. galatians chapter six verse fourteen Quote, who of god has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption first corinthians chapter one verse thirty doubtless there have been too many who to their eternal ruin have abused the doctrine of salvation by grace and have vainly trusted in christ for pardon and acceptance when by their vicious lives they have plainly proved the groundlessness of their pretensions the tree is to be known by its fruits and there is too much reason to fear that there is no principle of faith when it does not decidedly evince itself by the fruits of holiness dreadful indeed will be the doom above that of all others of those loose professors of christianity to whom at the last day our blessed saviour will address those words quote, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, all ye that work iniquity. End quote. But the danger of error on this side ought not to render us insensible to the opposite error, an error against which in these days it seems particularly necessary to guard. It is far from the intention of the writer of this work to enter into the niceties of controversy. But surely, without danger of being thought to violate this design, he may be permitted to contend that they who in the main believe the doctrines of the Church of England are bound to allow that our dependence on our blessed Saviour as alone the meritous cause of our acceptance with God, and as the means of all its blessed fruits and glorious consequences, must be not merely formal and nominal, but real and substantial, not vague, qualified and partial, but direct, cordial and entire." Quote, repentance towards god and faith towards our lord jesus christ end quote, was the sum of the apostolic instructions it is not an occasional invocation of the name or a transient recognition of the authority of christ that fills up the measure of the terms believing in jesus this we shall find no such easy task and if we trust that we do believe we should all perhaps do well to cry out in the words of an imploring suppliant he supplicated not in vain quote, lord help thou our unbelief end quote. We must be deeply conscious of our guilt and misery, heartily repenting of our sins, and firmly resolving to forsake them, and thus penitently, quote, fleeing for refuge to the hope set before us, end quote. We must found altogether on the merit of the crucified Redeemer our hopes of escape from their deserved punishment, and of deliverance from their enslaving power. This must be our first, our last, our only plea. We are to surrender ourselves up to him to, quote, be washed in his blood, end quote. Revelations chapter 1 verse 5 to be sanctified by his spirit, resolving to receive him for our Lord and Master, to learn in his school, to obey all his commands. It may perhaps be not necessary, after having treated so largely on this important topic, to add a few words in order to obviate a charge which may be urged against us, that we are insisting on nice and abstruse distinctions in what is a matter of general concern, and this too in a system which on its original promulgation was declared to be intended for the simple and poor it will be abundantly evident however on a little reflection and experience fully proves the position that what has been required is not the perception of a subtle distinction but a state and condition of heart to the former the poor and the ignorant must be indeed confessed unequal but they are far less indisposed than the great and the learned to bow down to that quote, preaching of the cross which is to them that perish foolishness but unto them that are saved the power of god and the wisdom of god end quote. The poor are not liable to be puffed up by the intoxicating fumes of ambition and worldly grandeur. They are less likely to be kept from entering into the straight and narrow way, and when they have entered, to be drawn back again or to be retarded in their progress by the cares or the pleasures of life. They may express themselves ill, but their views may be simple and their hearts humble, penitent, and sincere. It is as in other cases. The vulgar are the subjects of phenomena, the learned explain them. The former know nothing of the theory, of vision, or of sentiment, but this ignorance hinders not that they see and think, and though unable to discourse elaborately on the passions, they can feel warmly for their children, their friends, their country. After this digression, if that be indeed a digression which, by removing a formidable objection, renders the truth of the positions we wish to establish more clear and less questionable, we may now resume the thread of our argument. Still entreating, therefore, the attention of those who have not been used to think much of the necessity of this undivided, and, if it may be so termed, unadulterated reliance, for which we have been contending, we would still more particularly address ourselves to those who are disposed to believe that, though in some obscure and vague sense the death of Christ as the satisfaction for our sins and for the purchase of our future happiness, and the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit are to be admitted as fundamental articles of our creed, 
yet that these are doctrines so much above us that they are not objects suited to our capacities and that turning our eyes therefore from these difficult speculations we should fix them on the practical and moral precepts of the gospel these it most concerns us to know these therefore let us study such is the frailty of our nature such is the strength and the number of our temptations to evil that in reducing the gospel to morality to practice we shall find full employment and by attending to those moral precepts rather than to those high mysterious doctrines which you are pressing on us we shall best prepare to appear before god on that tremendous day when he shall judge every man according to his works vain wisdom all and false philosophy it will at once destroy this flimsy web to reply in the words of our blessed saviour and of his beloved disciple quote, this is the work of god that ye believe in him whom he hath sent End quote. john chapter six verse twenty nine quote, this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son jesus christ first john chapter three verse twenty three in truth if we consider but for a moment the opinions they scarcely deserve the name of system of men who argue thus we must be conscious of their absurdity this may not be inconsistently the language of the modern unitarian but surely it is in the highest degree unreasonable to admit into our scheme all the grand peculiarities of christianity and having omitted to neglect and think no more of them wherefore might the socinian say wherefore all this costly and complicated machinery it is like the Tychonic astronomy, encumbered and self-convicted by its own complicated relations and useless perplexities. It is so little like the simplicity of nature, it is so unworthy of the divine hand, that it even offends against those rules of propriety which we require to be observed in the imperfect compositions of the human intellect. Nec Deus intercit. Well may the Socinian assume this lofty tone with those whom we are now addressing if these be indeed the doctrines of revelation common sense suggests to us that from their nature and their magnitude they deserve our most serious regard it is the very theology of epicurus to allow the existence of these heavenly things but to deny their connection with human concerns and their influence on human actions besides the unreasonableness of this conduct we might strongly urge also in this connection the profaneness of thus treating as matters of subordinate consideration those parts of the system of christianity which are so strongly impressed on our reverence by the dignity of the person to whom they relate this very argument is indeed repeatedly and pointedly pressed by the sacred writers see hebrews chapter two nor is the profane irreverence of this conduct more striking than its ingratitude when from reading that our saviour was the brightness of his father's glory and the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power we go on to consider the purpose for which he came to earth and all that he did and suffered for us surely if we have a spark of ingenuousness left within us we shall condemn ourselves as guilty of the blackest ingratitude in rarely noticing or coldly turning away on whatever shallow pretences from the contemplation of these miracles of mercy for those baser minds however on which fear alone can operate that motive is superadded and we are plainly forewarned both directly and indirectly by the example of the jewish nation that god will not hold them guiltless who are thus unmindful of his most signal acts of condensation and kindness but as this is a question of pure revelation reasonings from probability may not be deemed decisive to revelation therefore we must appeal and as it might be to trespass on the reader's patience fully to discuss this most important subject we must refer him to the sacred writings themselves for complete satisfaction we would earnestly recommend it to him to weigh with the utmost seriousness those passages of scripture wherein the peculiar doctrines of christianity are expressly mentioned and farther to attend with due regard to the illustration and confirmation which the conclusions resulting from those passages receive incidentally from the word of god 
they who maintain the opinion which we are combating will hereby become convinced that theirs is indeed an unscriptural religion and will learn instead of turning off their eyes from the grand peculiarities of christianity to keep these ever in view as the pregnant principles whence all the rest must derive their origin and receive their best support footnote any one who wishes to investigate this subject will do well to study attentively Maclaurin's essay on the prejudices against the gospel it may not be amiss here to direct the reader's attention to a few leading arguments many of them those of the work just recommended let him maturely estimate the force of those terms whereby the apostle in the following passages designates and characterizes the whole of the christian system we preach christ crucified we determine to know nothing among you save jesus christ and him crucified the value of this argument will be acknowledged by all who consider that a system is never designated by an immaterial or an inferior part of it, but by that which constitutes its prime consideration and essential distinction. The conclusion suggested by this remark is confirmed by the Lord's Supper being the right by which our Saviour himself commanded his disciples to keep him in remembrance. And indeed a similar lesson is taught by the sacrament of baptism, which shadows out our souls being washed and purified by the blood of Christ observed next the frequency with which our saviour's death and sufferings are introduced and how often they are urged as practical motives the minds of the apostles seem full of this subject everything put them in mind of it they did not allow themselves to have it long out of their view nor did any other branch of spiritual instruction make them lose sight of it consider next that the part of the epistle to the romans wherein st paul speaks of some who went about to establish their own righteousness and had not submitted themselves to the righteousness of god may not this charge be in some degree urged and even more strongly than in the case of the jew against those who satisfy themselves with vague general and occasional thoughts of our saviour's meditation and the source of whose habitual complacency as we explained above is rather their being tolerably well satisfied with their own characters and conduct yet st paul declares concerning those of whom he speaks as concerning persons whose sad situation could not be too much lamented that he had great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart adding still more emphatical expressions of deep and bitter regret let the epistle to the galatians be also carefully examined and considered and let it be fairly asked what was the particular in which the judaizing christians were defective and the want of which is spoken in such strong terms as these that it frustrates the grace of god and must debar from all the benefits of the death of jesus the judaizing converts were not immoral they seem to have admitted the chief tenets concerning our saviour but they appear to have been disposed to trust not wholly be it observed also but only in part for their acceptance with god to the mosaic institutions instead of reposing wholly on the merits of christ here let it be remembered that when a compliance with these institutions was not regarded as conveying this inference the apostle showed by his own conduct that he did not deem it criminal whence no less than from the words of the epistle it is clear that the offence of the judaizing christians whom he condemned was what we have stated not their obstinately continuing to adhere to a dispensation to the ceremonial of which christianity had abrogated or their trusting to the sacrifices of the levitical law which were in their own nature inefficacious for the blotting out of sin see hebrews chapter seven verses eight nine and ten End footnote. let us then each for himself solemnly ask ourselves whether we have fled for refuge to the appointed hope and whether we are habitually looking to it as to the only source of consolation other foundation can no man lay there is no other ground of dependence no other plea for pardon but here there is hope even to the utmost let us labor then to convict our hearts with a deep conviction of our need of a redeemer and of the value of his offered mediation let us fall down humbly before the throne of god imploring pity and pardon in the name of the son of his love let us beseech him to give us a true spirit of repentance and of hearty undivided faith in the lord jesus let us not be satisfied till the cordiality of our belief be confirmed to us by that character of the apostle 
quote, that to as many as believe in Christ is precious, end quote. And let us strive to increase daily in love towards our blessed Saviour, and pray earnestly that, quote, we may be filled with joy and peace in believing, that we may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost, end quote. Let us diligently put in practice the directions formally given for cherishing and cultivating the principle of the love of Christ. With this view, let us labor assiduously to increase in knowledge that ours may be a deeply rooted and rational affection. By frequent meditation on the incidents of our Saviour's life, and still more on the astonishing circumstances of his death, by often calling to mind the state from which he proposes to rescue us, and the glories of his heavenly kingdom, by continual intercourse with him of prayer and praise, of dependence and confidence and dangers, of hope and joy in our brighter hours, let us endeavour to keep him constantly present to our minds, and to render all our conceptions of him more distinct, lively, and intelligent." the title of christian is a reproach to us if we estrange ourselves from him after whom we are denominated the name of jesus is not to be to us like the allah of the mohatmans a talisman or an amulet to be worn on the arm as an external badge merely and a symbol of our profession and to preserve us from the evil by some mysterious and unintelligible potency but it is to be engraven deeply on the heart there written by the finger of god himself in everlasting characters it is our title known and understood to present peace and future glory the assurance which it conveys of a bright reversion will lighten the burdens and alleviate the sorrows of life, and in some happier moments it will impart to us somewhat of that fullness of joy which is at God's right hand, enabling us to join even here in the heavenly Hosanna, quote, worthy as the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. End quote. Revelation chapter 5 verse 12. Quote, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. End quote. Revelation chapter 5 verse 13. End of chapter 3.